Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms and chapter 18. Psalms and chapter 18. And today we're going to read Psalm 18 and verse 46. Now, you know, I'm uh, famous now for my uh, Reader's Digest stories. I uh, read a story about a lady in Maidenhead whose mother had a, a new mobile phone. And this is going back a few years, so new today. It was, it was probably a Nokia brick in those days. And uh, this mobile phone used to play the William Tell Overture as its ringtone. Uh, and she complained to her daughter and her son-in-law saying, you know, every time I answer it, there's never anybody there. And they said, that, that's strange. It shouldn't be a problem. And the son-in-law said, well, okay, I'll tell you what, mum, I'll phone you and uh, we'll test it out. So he got his mobile phone out and he dialed her number and, and she started listening to the music, the William Tell Overture. And he said to her, why aren't you answering it? She said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought I had to wait for the tune to finish. <laughs> and as some people who think, don't they, you've got to have the whole thing. Actually, you don't always have to. Sometimes just a part of it is, a, is all that you need to be drawn your attention to. And that's like this psalm that we're looking at today. Psalm 18 is a beautiful psalm. And uh, I could uh, take you through all of it, but it's a long psalm. And so today we're just going to have a bit of it. We're going to look at verse 46, which is some very famous words that, to Christians anyway. I'm going to read it first in the NIV, and then I'm going to read it in the New King James Version, because that's closer to the King James Version, which most of us will be familiar of this verse with. The NIV says, The Lord lives, praise be to my rock, exalted be God my Saviour. Now in the New King James Version, The Lord lives, or if you're using a King James, The Lord liveth, blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. Please keep your Bible open there. Now marathons aren't anything new, are they? They've been around in the world since about the 5th century before Christ, since the Battle of Marathon, when the ancient Greeks started these great races. Uh, and Based on, on, the, on the runner who ran from the Battle of Marathon there. And uh, these, these races have continued as 26.2 mile races over the years. But what is a new twist to this is what is called now rock and roll marathons. And a rock and roll marathon is a marathon just 26.2 miles again, same, same distance. But the difference is at the end of every mile there is a stage set up and there are bands playing. So you get there and you can have a bit of a breather before you run the next part of the race and you can watch a band play. And these have become really popular and there's a number of them spread out around the world. I understand there's a very big one that takes place up in Liverpool. And in a way, I can't help thinking that's a little bit of like a picture of life itself. Life is a journey, isn't it? It's a race to the finish line. Perhaps it's a rat race. And uh, we're on our way to the finish line. But along the way, there's music to help us. And whether you're a Christian or not, music is a big part of our journey in life. And songs are very powerful. 
Bruce Springsteen, the American rock star, said this, you can change someone's life in three minutes with the right song. And he's right. And that's why the book of Psalms is so precious to us, because these Psalms are songs. Now, we don't have the tunes, but we do have the words. That's the important thing. And they are mostly David's Psalms from his journey, his race through life. And the different psalms that he wrote as he was travelling on his journey through life. And Psalm 18 is no different to that in that respect. According to one commentator, quote, This psalm is a royal song of thanksgiving that rehearses God's deliverances of David from all his enemies. End quote. And that's what it's about. It's a psalm about God's deliverance for King David, uh, from especially from Saul, but also from Absalom. And that's what it's about. And it, it must be a very important psalm because it's actually put in the Bible twice. It's found also in uh, 1 Samuel 22. And Graham Scroggy, the commentator, said this, This psalm is twice recorded in the Bible. Surely we should take double notice of it. I agree because it's an amazing piece of worship that calls on God to be both blessed and exalted for who he is to us. George Campbell Morgan, another Bible commentator, said this is one of the most majestic and beautiful of the worship psalms. It is at once a perfect pattern of praise and a great revelation of God. And I agree. So this morning, for our little study in the Word of God, I want us to have a look at this one verse. I'll put it up there uh, from the New King James to keep it always before us. And I want us to see three things it teaches us about our God. It teaches us that He is our reality. It teaches us that He is our rock. And it teaches us that He is our Redeemer. And I'm praying that today, like David, we will be rejoicing in the Lord. First of all then, he is our reality. The psalm begins by saying, the Lord lives. The Lord liveth in the King James. And this is a statement uh, of God's real existence and his presence and involvement in our lives. I've told you the story that before of a, a university, I think it was down in Southampton, where the Atheist Society in, in, the, in the university had a poster campaign that was a dig, really, at the Christians who were planning a mission. And their poster campaign had that famous quote from Nietzsche, which said on it, God is dead. And they blitzed the whole university campus with these big posters. God is dead, the Atheist Society. Well, the Christians weren't going to be outdone, and they replied with a poster that said, Our God is alive, we're sorry about yours. <laughs> but you know what? That is the truth about this verse. That's what David is saying in this verse. The Lord lives. You can't tell David that God is dead because he knows he's alive. He's helped him in his life. It's a reality to him. In contrast to the dead idols that do nothing, they can't walk or speak or talk, they're just lumps of clay or metal or wood, they're, they're lifeless, the Lord lives and he is the living God. 
And for, for those of us who know the Lord, that has tremendous implications. For instance, that's why we can pray. That's why we can pray. Because the Lord lives. You know, David said back in verse 3, he said, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. He can pray to the Lord because the Lord is alive and he is able to help us. Now, we've got to be careful. God isn't an automated cash machine where we just put our order in and we get out what we want. Someone has, has noticed in the Bible there are 667 specific prayers and there are 454 specific answers. Now that tells us that God doesn't always say yes to our prayers. Sometimes in his wisdom he says, no, I'm not going to give you that because I know better in this situation. And sometimes the answer to our prayers is no. But it also tells me that 450 specific prayers were answered miraculously by God as his involvement in people's lives. And that's a, that's a reality for us as Christians. Because the Lord lives, we can pray to him. We can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. This is, was uh, something that uh, a Christian writer by the name of Zoquitl Dixon, who's from Mexico, uh, and she's pictured there with her husband. And uh, she, she wrote about this as a reality in her life in one devotional I read. She said, my husband was at work when I received the news about mum's cancer diagnosis. I left him a message and reached out to friends and family, but none were available. Covering my face with trembling hands, I sobbed, help me, Lord. A resulting assurance that God was with me comforted me through those moments when I felt utterly alone. I thanked the Lord when my husband came home and support from friends and family trickled in. Still, the calming awareness of God's presence I sensed in those first few hours of lonely grieving affirmed that God is readily and faithfully available wherever and whenever I need help. That's the truth. He's a reality. And so we can pray to him. That's why as well we can have purpose in our life. You know, David had purpose in his life. He said in verse 49, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Amongst other things, David was a worshipper, and he was going to institute the worship of the temple and uh, the praises of God. This was a part of his purpose because he knew God was real and involved in his life. You know, that's a big thing. Someone has said life is like a, a wild goose chase, except there's no goose. I want to tell you, the Christian doesn't feel like that about life. He knows there's a reality. And God gives purpose to his life. I wonder if you know that, really and truthfully. What is the purpose of your life? You know, it staggers me what some people will say. Another story from Reader's Digest came from a lady called Hilda Batten who lived in Hertfordshire. And she told this amusing story. She said, I was talking to my elderly mother about the youth of today having difficulty finding work when she replied, in my day we had to take what was going to help support the family. I had to pack boxes in a biscuit factory just to bring the pennies home. My goodness, I said, that must have been terribly boring. 
Not at all, she said. They were assorted biscuits. <laughs> yeah, you know, for some people, small things are the purpose of life, aren't they? It's staggering what people will get excited about. But the Christian, we have the greatest purpose of all. We live to serve him and walk with him, the living God. And we are like the angels in heaven, only on earth. We're his servants who do his bidding. We also have peace because he's a reality. You know, David was a hunted man. If you read the inscription at the beginning of this time, you'll see David was a hunted man. And there was lots that could take away his peace. But he knew the Lord who was giving him peace in his life and helped him through through all of the difficulties that he was facing. Verse 48, he delivers me from my enemies. You also will lift me up above those who rise against me. David had peace. You know, Thomas Watson, the Puritan writer, said the world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. And he's right. And that's found when we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour and Lord. The Lord is a reality who brings that peace to us. I like this sign that was outside one church. It said, no Jesus, no peace. But it said, no Jesus, no peace. (laughs) <laughs> and that's, that's what Christians here will be able to testify to. Isaiah 26 tells us if we fix our minds on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. So the Lord lives. What a reality that is. And David was saying that in the Old Testament. How much more so is that true for us in the New Testament? Listen, when those disciples who were uh, uh, visiting the empty tomb And trying to puzzle out what had happened to the body of Jesus. And then the angels appeared to them. And they told him that he was, told them that they were alive. What did they go back and tell the others? They said, the Lord lives. The Lord lives, the same words. They must have thought of this psalm, I'm sure of it. The Lord lives. He is alive. And he is a greater reality for the Christian than the world can ever understand. James White said, someone who can prophesy his own death and resurrection and then leave behind him an empty tomb, that's whom I'm going to follow. (laughs) And I agree. So this is one of the things we rejoice in, in the Lord. He is our reality. And I want you to know he can be your reality too. We're not calling you to uh, take part in a dead religion. We're talking about a relationship with someone who's alive. That's what Christianity really is. Third thing, second thing I want to see here about the Lord that David points out in verse 46 is the Lord is our rock. He, he goes on and he says the Lord lives and then he says blessed be my rock. Blessed be my rock. And the Lord is a rock. To us. Now that's a bit of a contradiction with the previous statement, isn't it? Because it says the Lord lives. But have you ever seen a living rock? Never have done, have you? But what it means is the Lord brings that foundation and that stability into our life that a rock big, begin, uh, brings into our life. Somebody, somebody will say of someone, oh, he's a brick or uh, he's a rock in my life. That's a, that's a person I can depend on. Well, the Lord is our rock. Uh, Pierre Spies is a, a 
rugby player, now retired rugby player. He was number eight for South Africa uh, and a great player. And he had a very traumatic life, very traumatic childhood with problems at home and all sorts of things. But he went to church one day and he listened to the sermon. He said it was like God was speaking to my heart through the word of God. And he asked the Lord Jesus to be his saviour. And his testimony is this. He said, a lot in my life can change in an instant. But I know for sure that God is a rock that cannot be moved. That's a blessing to know that type of stability in our lives. The poet said, I do not rest on shifting sand or fear the storm that rages. For calm and sure I stand secure upon the rock of ages. Now in David's life, uh, this is shown in many different ways. The Lord was his foundation, the foundation of David's throne. And this is what the Lord Jesus wanted us to, to be like as Christians. Those who trust in his word and have his life and his teaching as our foundation. We teach the, the children in the mothers and toddlers group a song that you know, many of you, the wise man built his house upon the rock and the rain came tumbling down. Well, it's based on a parable of the Lord Jesus. He said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And that's what it's like for us as Christians. The Lord is our foundation. We have something strong and solid underneath us that helps us in the, in the struggles and the difficulties of life. Don't take it from me. Take it from someone who's been through one of the worst things I can ever imagine. Take it from Robin Oak. Have you ever heard of Robin Oak? He was a police chief whose son, Stephen Oak, followed him into the police force. And back in the 1980s, he was killed. Uh, it might have been the 1990s, I think, actually. He was killed uh, when they were raiding uh, a terrorist house. And uh, Robin Oak said this. He said, however, I have to say that Steve's death was a bitter blow. And I want you to know that when a Christian hits rock bottom as we did as a family, then we did find that the rock underneath us is Jesus. He gives comfort and strength to cope through his word, the Bible, and his people who are other Christians. That's a testimony. The Lord is our rock, our foundation. Do you have a rock? Is your life built on a rock? The wind and the waves are going to beat against your house. The wind is going to blow against your house and the storm is going to come. The difference as to whether your house will stand or not will be whether or not you're built on the rock. It also means that the Lord is our fortress. Our fortress. Because when David used this word, he was using uh, a word that linked to a fortress. In fact, if you just go back to verse 2 in this psalm, you notice David says this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. And the word fortress there is a word, Masada. Masada. 
Have you ever been to Israel or seen uh, videos of Israel or pictures of Israel? You'll know that there's this massive rock fortress down in the Judean desert which is called Masada. It was built by Herod the Great and it was where the Jews held out to the end uh, against the Romans. And sadly they committed suicide there because the Romans eventually managed to build a massive rampart uh, which was an amazing achievement up to the top and their soldiers managed to conquer, get over the top. But they found that the Jews had committed Masada and every, uh, suicide. And every Jewish soldier in the IDF gets taken to Masada before they qualify uh, as, a, as, as a proper soldier. But you know what? That wasn't started by Herod. That was continued by Herod. Because David went to Masada to hide from Saul. And it was his rock fortress first of all. And it was the place where he hid. And we read about that in the book of Samuel. And this is what David is saying. David is saying, he's saying that the Lord is my fortress. He's my rock, like a, a cave rock. I can, I can go inside and find safety in the middle of all life's difficulties and challenges. What does that mean in reality? Some of you may know the uh, famous Christian singer-songwriter, Matt Redmond. I bet many of us have sung Matt Redmond's songs, but we didn't really know what type of life he had. But his life was a sad one. His father took his own life when he was seven years old. His mum remarried and his world was shattered as a child. But as a young child who was a Christian, he sought the Lord and he started worshipping the Lord with his guitar. And he said, worship music was a place of safety for me. And then he said this. In an interview, he said, I learned early on that when you come to the throne room of God, it's not only a place of reverence, it's a place of refuge. When everything else in your world seems to be breaking, that's a place that will never change. I'll tell you, that's the reality for us as Christians. The Lord is our fortress. We can, we can withdraw to the Lord for safety in, in, in times of stress and difficulty and pray to him and find peace in, pres in his presence and in being with him. He's our fortress. He's also, is, in terms of being our rock, he is also our force. Now remember who's writing this psalm. David. And who's David famous for killing? Goliath. And what did he use to kill Goliath? A rock in a sling. And he brought Goliath down with the rock. And in the Bible it is the rock that destroys the enemies of God. In the, in the vision in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of all the Gentile world empires uh, that would dominate over Israel until the end times. But at the end, it is destroyed and smashed to pieces by a rock that was cut not out of man's hands. It came from heaven. And it's the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is a rock. He's a force that destroys the enemies. And I want to tell you this. The Lord is our rock in the sense of being a force. You know, some of us here may be battling something. How are we going to defeat it? Who are we going to turn to? 
Many people go to Alcoholics Anonymous and things like this to try and find help to conquer an addiction. And they teach you to look to the quote-unquote higher power. Let me tell you, it's not a higher power. It's the Lord. That's his name. Don't call him the higher power. Use the personal name. He's the Lord. And he is the rock who can help you if you put your trust in him. He's the one who is the great deliverer. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. So what a wonderful reality for David to be able to speak of. The Lord is our reality, the Lord lives, and the Lord is also our rock. Is he your rock today? He can be. But thirdly, I want you to see he is also our redeemer. Because David finishes up this verse of the psalm by saying, let the God of my salvation be exalted. And David was a worshipper, one who thanked God for salvation. One of my favourite preachers has now gone home with the Lord in recent, recent days. He was a man by the name of Richard Buse. He was uh, originally the rector up at All Souls Langham Place. And that takes something for me to say that about Anglican ministers because I'm not a big fan, as you know. But Richard came to speak at the Cornhill training course when I was there. And I just took to his ministry and was greatly helped. Richard tells in one of his books, he grew up in Africa, uh, son of a a missionary. And uh, on one occasion, he and the family were in Mombasa in East Africa. And as they were having a family picnic one day, they went out into what we say is like the outback and someone tripped over something. And they went to see what it was they tripped over and they moved some of the brush away and they found a grave. And they, they picnicked there for the day and they spent the day clearing away this grave. And to their amazement, it was the grave of a German missionary who had been there and been buried there in 1844, a man by the name of Ludwig Karkraf. All those years, that grave had been forgotten. That missionary who came and did a great work there had been forgotten. And they were pleased to rediscover that grave and uh, uh, bring it uh, open again so people can remember this man who brought them the gospel but you know what I want to say that's a picture of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ the world today has forgotten the most important death of all last week we had remembrance Sunday and everybody flocks in their hundreds and thousands to go and remember the many soldiers who died in the war and we applaud that we think that's good but everybody seems to forget the one death the one death that counts more than any other And that is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And the Lord Jesus came to be our redeemer. You say, is that who David is speaking about? Yes, it is. Because he says that the God of my salvation, the word salvation is Yeshua, Jesus. And he's the God of my salvation. The name Jesus means God saves And that's what Jesus came to do for David. 
In Psalm 22, David was going to see prophetically through the telescope of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross. It's one of the amazing prophetic psalms of the cross, talking about Christ being pierced. And you read it and you see what happened on that day when Christ died at Calvary for our sins. And David is reminded and says here, the Lord is our redeemer. Let him be exalted for that. Let him be praised for that. And I want to say this, dear friends, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ can be to you and to me. We need a redeemer. We need a rescuer. Mankind has sinned and only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash us clean from our sin. Some of of the younger ones may be familiar with the name Eminem, who's a a rap singer. And uh, he did a song with Ed Sheeran, not at all a Christian song, but it's a A song called The River has a lot of swear words in it, but it's about an unwanted pregnancy. And the song says this, I've been a liar, been a thief, been a lover, been a cheat. All my sins need holy water, feel it washing over me. Many young people have listened to those words and said, oh, what my sins need is holy water washing over me. I want to tell you it's not holy water you need washing over you. It is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross to wash over you. Hebrews 9.22 says without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins. That's why the Lord Jesus had to die. That's why God couldn't just say oh well we'll forget about it. Because justice had to be done. A price had to be paid. And I mentioned earlier the judge had to uh, um, apportion the, the rods in Deuteronomy 25. But you know it says that he must justify the righteous and punish the wicked. And a just judge cannot let the crime go unpunished. So the Lord Jesus Christ came to take the punishment for us. Do you realize what that meant? One of the old preachers from long ago was a man by the name of Rabbi Duncan. I'd love to have heard Rabbi Duncan. He wasn't a Jew, but he was called Rabbi Duncan because he was one of the world's leading experts in the Hebrew language. He was a a lecturer in theology up in Edinburgh University. And by all accounts, he was a bit of a character because he used to smoke a cigar like Winston Churchill. And apparently when he was giving his theology lectures at the university, he would chew on this old cigar and he would pace up and down as he worked out his, his thoughts he was trying to teach the young people when he was teaching them theology. And on one occasion he was deep in thought and he was sharing the, with the young people about the cross of Calvary where Jesus died. And he said, do you know what Calvary was? Do you know what Calvary was? I'll tell you what it was. It was damnation. And the Lord Jesus bore it lovingly and willingly. He was right. He was right. What was the cross? It was damnation. The damnation that John Eichen deserved. The hell I deserved to go to. Was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I can go to heaven instead. And he did that for you too. If you'll be willing to accept his offer of forgiveness. You know David could say in this verse. Blessed be my rock. And let the God of my 
salvation, be exalted. Because he had turned to the Lord and asked him to be his. Have you turned to the Lord? Can you say he's my rock, my salvation? Do you say share in David's experience? If not yet, then I urge you to go to the Lord in prayer. Because the Lord can be these three things to you. And like David, you can be rejoicing that he is your reality. He is your rock in your life. He is your redeemer. The one who can give you a place in heaven. If you ask the Lord to forgive you and trust in Jesus Christ who died on that cross. The Bible says you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Your house will be built on the rock. Let's sing our